listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. As we enter this season of Lent, hear these words from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks, be, Thanks to God. be to God. And thank you, Dick, for that reading. So as I mentioned at the outset of this service, we are in the season of Lent right now. Uh, for those of us who aren't quite as familiar with the church calendar, uh, Lent is the season of preparation and fasting and prayer that leads up to Easter. Uh, if you remember a few months ago, we celebrated Advent, which is another season of preparation leading up to Christmas. Lent's basically the same kind of idea, it's just longer and sadder, uh, if that makes sense. Lent is roughly 40 days long, and it parallels uh, Jesus' 40 days of fasting in the wilderness before beginning his ministry. And Christians have practiced this season of Lent together uh, for centuries as a way to enter into that journey with Christ and prepare ourselves for his death and resurrection. I just need to say, too, for, for most Christians today, uh, I think Lent doesn't hold quite the same significance that it held for Christians in ages past. Um, there's a reason our ancestors in the faith chose to celebrate Lent at this time of year. You know, we're in the waning days of winter, and uh, we're waiting for spring to come for that new life. This time of year when, like, the, the whole earth basically holds its breath, when the ancients would hope for the, the rains to come so that they'd be able to, to eat in the coming months— I think a lot of that is lost in translation for many of us today, but not as much this year. It was about a year ago, uh, last Lent, last March, uh, when the pandemic really took hold here in the U.S. And ever since then, we've really been in a sort of extended Lent. We've been holding our breaths, staying indoors. Uh, wondering when we're going to get to travel again, when we're going to get to see kids and grandkids, visit family, when we're going to get to go to, to church together, to restaurants, to bars, to concert halls. Creation has been holding its collective breath for almost a year now. And so I think it's really appropriate as we get close to the other side of this, whatever that's going to look like, as more and more folks get vaccinated and as you know, slowly things start to open up, I think there's wisdom for us in this ancient season of Lent. This time to wait and pray and reflect on what we've lost while hoping for what is to come and to do all of that in the shadow of the cross. In line with all this, um, our teachings for Lent are going to be a little bit different this year. Uh, normally, I like to do a deep dive into, like, one book and really, like, you know, get the marrow out of it. Uh, but for the next six, six weeks, we're doing a series called Sacred Rhythms. 
where each week we're going to look at uh, different spiritual disciplines and practices that Christians have engaged in for centuries. We're going to try to understand these practices, and it's also my hope that we would actually be empowered to give them a try and to practice them uh, in Lent and beyond. If you go to the online worship page of our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org slash online worship, you can uh, download the order of worship, like I mentioned a few minutes ago. And any we- every week in this series, right at the bottom, uh, in the going deeper section, we are going to focus on the practice we talked about that week. Um, and we're going to give you some advice, some tips and tricks to actually try incorporating the practice into your uh, kind of daily life. So definitely check that out, brockportfirstbaptist.org on the order of worship. Now, we're going to talk about feasting and fasting today, uh, but before we get into all that, I want to talk a bit about spiritual disciplines just like in general. I think it's important for us to understand what we're talking about in this series and why. What is the purpose of these spiritual uh, disciplines? Why are they significant? Why are we doing this? Because in some corners of the church, there's actually some suspicion around spiritual disciplines. One hesitation that some Christians have is that this is some kind of works righteousness, that we're like trying to earn something. In the wrong hands, fasting can become an idol. Uh, It can be a way to uh, exalt ourselves over others, highlight our own holiness. Uh, It can be a way of trying to earn God's approval or trying to trick God into doing something. That is not what we are after in this series. The point of these spiritual disciplines is not to raise ourselves up and it's not to earn anything. The point, the goal of these practices is to cultivate a deeper sense of intimacy with God. Let me say that again. The goal of these practices is to cultivate a deeper sense of intimacy with God. To increase our awareness of God's presence in our lives, our sense of dependence on God, reliance on God, closeness to God, and maybe end up looking a little bit like Jesus, a little bit more like Jesus through the process. These spiritual disciplines should really push us out of our comfort zones. As as modern people, I think we tend to overly intellectualize our faith. Our religion often resides up here in our heads, Um, I know that's true for many in our church. Uh, We are a cerebral bunch here at Brockport First Baptist. A number of folks in our congregation um, are very highly educated, rational people. You all hired a theology professor to be your pastor, for crying out loud. And I struggle with this stuff, too. This is not easy for me. It is simpler when our faith just lives up here. It is, uh, it's safer that way. There's a certain, a certain safety, a certain com- complacency we can fall into when our religion is about what we believe and what we think, and it pushes us out of our comfort zones when we talk about what we feel and what we experience. But that's what these disciplines are really trying to get at. Who we are and who we want to be. If a young person came up to you, maybe it's like your kid or your grandkid, and they want to become like a great track and field star, you would never say to them, okay, you want to be a track and field star? Here's what you do. Go out and sprint 400 meters. Because good track and field stars can sprint 400 meters. You want to do track and field? Here's a javelin. Take it outside. Just throw it as far as you can. You know, don't worry about form. Don't worry about practice. No, take this and just whip it because that's what track and field stars do. You would never say that. Instead, you would probably prescribe certain practices. 
disciplines for these people to do that over time as they repeat it and repeat it would start to change them, transform them into a track and field athlete. You maybe tell them to start with jogging, start with a mile a day, and then work your way up from there. Then work in sprints and hurdles. You might connect them with like a, a local track coach or a track and field team. This is how we approach just about any skill we want to learn. Sports, musical instruments, you practice it over and over again until it changes you, until you get better at it. You transform into an athlete or a musician. But with faith, we don't always do that. We read Jesus telling us to love our enemies. We understand it. We file it away in our heads, love our enemies, check. But then we get out in the world, and we fail miserably to do it. Well, yeah, that's because our spirituality is often the equivalent of just going out and trying to sprint 400 meters. You can't reason your way through this stuff. You can't become more like Jesus through sheer force of will. We need practices. On that note, let's talk about feasting and fasting. And full disclosure here, we're going to talk more about fasting today. I feel like I don't really have to convince you all to feast, right? Like that's not that hard of a sales pitch. So we're mostly going to uh, focus on fasting. When we talk about fasting, we're talking about food. And food is a topic that by its nature is very visceral. It's very bodily. It's extremely personal. If you've ever talked to a vegan uh, or to someone with a gluten allergy, real or imagined, you know how personal conversations about food can get. And we have a very odd relationship with food in our culture. Like historically speaking, we are an anomaly. We live at the only period in human history when we have access to whatever food we want, whenever we want it. It doesn't matter if it's in season. It doesn't matter if it comes from a, a culture halfway across the globe that we know nothing about. Americans have access to whatever food we want, when we want it, and that is not always a good thing. If you look at obesity rates in our country, if you look at the effects of industrial farming, global supply chains on the environment and on rural communities around the world, it's not that hard to see how our consumeristic approach to eating is having a negative impact. Back in Bible times, fasting was just a reality of life. Jesus and his disciples would have had access to bread, fish, whatever fruits and veggies were available, and then maybe once or twice a year, you'd go to the temple for like a festival or something, and you'd get a nice cut of meat. That was it. Famines were a reality of life. Going days without food was commonplace. Fasting was a normal part of human existence, so of course, it worked its way into their spiritual lives as well. If you look at characters in the Bible who fast, it's basically like a who's who of like Bible heroes. Jesus, Paul, Moses, David, Esther, Elijah. The ancient Israelites had feast days and fast days built into their calendar. What you ate didn't depend on what you were hungry for and what you could afford. It was much more connected to the sacred and the spiritual. Now we should acknowledge up front the Bible never commands Christians to fast. We are never commanded to fast in Scripture. The practice of fasting was just too ingrained in the culture back then. It's like breathing. You don't really have to be told to breathe. 
But Jesus does talk about fasting, and his language is super interesting. In Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about fasting. And he tells his disciples, whenever they fast, don't be like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Do the regular hygienic stuff you would normally do so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, a lot of Christians have taken away from this passage that fasting itself is hypocritical. That fasting is a practice reserved for holier-than-thou types looking to show off their spiritual prowess. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, when you fast. It is assumed that followers of Jesus are going to fast. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus, then it is taken as a given that we will, at some point, fast. We just aren't supposed to show off with it. Now, I do need to say at this point that, like, obviously, if you have some sort of a medical condition or an eating disorder uh, or any issues like that around food, you should tread very lightly with the practice of fasting. Talk to your doctor. Make sure it's okay. Uh, Make sure people who know and love you uh, are aware of what you're doing and can kind of uh, hold you accountable and be checking in with you. And for some of us, fasting is not going to be a safe option, and that is fine. For the rest of us, though, it is assumed, it's taken as a given, that followers of Jesus who are able to fast will at some point fast. So let's talk about that. I want to get super practical here, um, because I know fasting is kind of a foreign concept to many of us. We live, what, five minutes from Walmart Supercenter? Let's talk about different kind of fasts we find in the Bible— a little bit of why people do those fasts, and then how we might actually try to incorporate some of these practices in Lent and beyond. There's your roadmap for where we're going. First type of fasting that we're going to talk about, this is probably one of the most common forms of fasting we find in the Bible, are the fasts that occur around a time of grief, suffering, or trial. When King David's uh, newborn son becomes ill in 2 Samuel, he lays on the ground and he fasts for seven days. Then the child tragically dies, and King David gets up, he cleans himself off, and he finally agrees to eat. In the book of Esther, when Queen Esther prepares to go before the king uh, to try to uh, save her people, risking her own life in the process, Esther and her fellow Jews fast for three days. We see this pattern over and over again in the Bible in times of suffering, in times of loss, in times of trial or repentance, in times of grief. People will fast. They go without food. We actually have a practice kind of like this in our culture. If you think about how, like, everyone brings food to a funeral, like if you go visit someone who's lost a loved one, you bring food along. Why do we do that? It's because... In times of extreme loss and mourning, you tend to shut down a bit. 
For a period of time, you forget about things like eating and cooking and grooming. And so our cultural response to that is to feed people, which in an inverse sort of way is kind of like fasting. It's scratching the same itch. Back in the day, you'd go without food for a period of time following a loss, and your community would actually fast with you. Today, we experience the same reality, but the community comes around us and feeds us, which is just as beautiful. A few months ago, I was following this story online of this young girl um, who was badly injured in a car accident. Tragically, she ended up passing away. But when she was in the hospital, her family uh, took to social media to share her story, to raise money for her, her hospital bills. And one of the things they did is they called on people to pray and fast with them. And it was amazing. Over the, the weeks as this was developing, you saw dozens of people, probably hundreds of people from different cultures, from different religions, people who didn't even know each other, didn't even speak the same language, fasting together. There's incredible power to this stuff. The next time someone you know experiences a loss, consider fasting with them as an act of solidarity. You don't have to publicize it. You don't even have to tell them you're doing it, but pray for them. Offer to come and sit with them, and if they don't feel like eating, consider fasting with them. And the next time you're going through a state of loss or grief or mourning, Take the time you need to grieve. It's okay. If you need to shut things down for a week, shut it down for a week. If you don't feel like eating, take a few days to fast. It is a normal part of the grieving process. And it's something we see in Scripture. Did we lose the camera? Are we still live, though? Okay, good, we're still live. Hopefully people can still hear me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the tech folks will work on getting the, the camera back online. In the meantime, you'll just have to listen to my voice at home. That's one form of fasting we find in the Bible. Another is a fast that's done in preparation for something. We saw this kind of fast in our scripture reading for today. Um, the Gospels record that at the start of his ministry, before he went out to begin teaching and healing and ministering to people, Jesus went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. This actually parallels a number of stories in the Old Testament where different figures like Moses and Elijah and uh, Joshua would fast for 40 days, usually in preparation for something. Now, I wouldn't advise any of us to just, like, give up food for 40 days. That's not a very good idea. You'd probably land yourself in a hospital if you do that. But this is where the Lenten tradition of fasting for 40 days from a specific food comes from, something like coffee or sweets or meat. And if you're new to fasting, this can actually be a really great way to dip your toe in the water. Just choose a food that you really love and consider giving it up for the rest of Lent. I know we're already a couple days into Lent, but that's okay. Uh, it's okay to start this a little late. We are all about that grace thing here. But whether it's chocolate or soda or whatever, that can be a really good way to enter into this practice of fasting for this season. And this is where if you do the math on the calendar, you're going to notice that Lent is actually 46 days long. And that's because the Sundays in Lent don't count. 
Not everyone knows that. On Sundays, you're not supposed to fast. That's because Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's the day Jesus came back from the dead. So traditionally speaking, Christians don't normally fast on Sundays, which means that if you gave up chocolate for Lent, you should do it. You should, you know, Monday through Saturday, stay away from chocolate. But then on Sundays, you should find yourself the biggest bar of chocolate you can. And not like Hershey's. I'm talking about the good stuff. You know, like, uh, I don't know, Godiva or, or something like that. The good chocolate. On Sundays, get that or get yourself a big piece of chocolate cake and enjoy it. Indulge for the glory of God. Sounds kind of silly, I know. Uh, but like in the first year Aaron and I were married, we gave up meat for Lent. And I've got to say, those Sunday dinners where we actually got to eat meat again, it was nothing short of a religious experience. It was holy to eat those dead animals. <laughs> so feast on Sundays. <clears throat> Third and last type of fasting um, that we're going to talk about today, at least, that we find in the Bible. There's more, but we're just going to focus on these three. Is a daytime fast. Daytime fasts usually run from sunrise to sunset. We see this sprinkled here and there in the Bible. Um, occasional times when it's just going to be declared for whatever reason that uh, a person or a community is not going to eat again until sunset. I don't think we often think of this type of fast as sort of the, the normal way to do it. But this is actually where um, Christians through the centuries, this is how they have incorporated fasting as more of a regular ongoing practice. In monastic communities, monasteries, really going back all the way to before the time of Jesus, so this goes back to like Judaism, it was traditional to fast twice a week from sunrise to sunset. Uh, Jews would traditionally do it on Mondays and Thursdays. Christians did it on Wednesdays and Fridays because, of course, we just have to be different, right? But the way this would work, this is something you might want to try for Lent, is you choose two days per week where you're going to wake up like normal, prepare your normal breakfast, but then don't eat anything for the rest of the day until sundown, and then make yourself... Um, you know, a light dinner. And of course, drink water, have fruit juice and stuff if you need through the day. But basically between breakfast and dinner, you eat nothing. And you can do that twice a week. I've done this sort of fast uh, at certain points in my life, and it establishes this um, kind of beautiful rhythm where on those fast days, as you experience those hunger pains, it's this visceral bodily reminder of our dependence on God. We really don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. This sort of regular fasting is also really good at exposing elements of your character that are, uh, let's say, less than Christ-like. <laughs> um, normally with a longer fast, you eventually get used to it, but with this twice a week, you know, sunrise to sunset fast, you don't. <laughs> so if you struggle with things like anger or impatience, um, if there are certain temptations, bottled up issues that you need to deal with, this sort of regular fasting pro uh, practice is going to bring those to the surface. So faster beware. But for this Lent, if you want to experiment with a practice of fasting, assuming that you are medically able to do so, you could try any one of these approaches, and these will be on the screens. Camera's still out, right? Just double checking. Yeah, camera's still out, but we're on. People can see the screens? Awesome. Okay. So here are some ways you can approach fasting during Lent if you want to give this a try. 
You can give something up for 40 days that you really love as a fast of preparation. Just remember to break your fast on Sundays and indulge. Whatever it is on Sundays, pig out. If you want to do a complete fast from food, like we see with figures like Esther and David, you can try that as well. Um, I would recommend starting very small with this. Maybe try to fast one day a week, um, and then maybe by like the third week of Lent, you could expand it to two and kind of work your way up to maybe a, maybe a three or even a four-day fast by Easter. That's definitely something you could do. Um, I fasted one year for the entirety of Holy Week uh, without preparation, and I would not recommend that. It was terrible, so you definitely want to work your way up with this kind of stuff. Another traditional way to fast uh, is to fast from 3 p.m. on Good Friday, which is the hour when it's traditionally believed Jesus died, until breakfast on Easter Sunday. That's kind of a cool fast to try toward the end of Lent. Uh, So like the entire time Jesus is in the tomb, you fast with him. That can be fun, if fun's the right word. Um, (laughs) And then if you're interested in experimenting with more of a regular fasting practice, that's where I'd recommend picking two days a week during Lent, again, traditionally Wednesday and Friday, but it could be any day, and try eating nothing between breakfast and dinner. Drink a lot of water, have some fruit juice if you need, a little sugar, but if you've never fasted before and you want to try it out, this is a really good place to start over these next 40 days. And remember to have grace with yourself. This is a new practice for many of us. I'm thinking probably most of us. And uh, these spiritual disciplines are not about perfection. We are all students in this. But if you're looking to take things a little bit deeper, if you're looking for a practice, especially in this time when we're all a little starved for community, um, this is something you could try in this season. Worst case scenario, you're going to hate it. It'll do absolutely nothing for you. And in that case, on Easter Sunday, you're going to be even more grateful to celebrate the resurrection because Lent will be over. But best case, you might actually discover that fasting becomes a practice that becomes a source of strength and actually deepens your sense of intimacy with God. What do you have to lose? Let's pray. God, thank you for the season of Lent. Thank you for breaking up the year with these seasons that interrupt our lives and force us to slow down and recenter on you. God, we pray for wisdom as we engage with the discipline of fasting. May it be a practice that stirs our hearts, draws us closer to you and your presence, and that conforms us more and more to the likeness of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.